In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages, amen. Tonight's homily from the blessed subdeacon and servant, Neil Bashay. Let us open our hearts to hear the words of the Holy Spirit from Him. Hello, everyone. Blessed fast of the Holy Saint, our Mother, the Virgin, the Theotokos, Saint Mary. And we saw something very fascinating in today's Gospel a woman offering. On behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in his own words, the Lord said, preparing for his burial. But there was in tonight's gospel something that's quite fascinating to consider. All the apostles are looking at this woman and her action and thinking it's indignant. They have indignation towards her. And they think it's out of character, something inappropriate, just doesn't seem right. And the Lord is aware of it. And the Lord goes and he elevates this woman and what she did. And he elevated her because of the sacrifice. Well, the apostles and everyone was concerned with the cost of the oil and what it could do for the poor. The Lord recognized what she had done for him. So then the Lord says something. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And as we see, we found that this story has made its way into the gospel. But I've read somewhere, I was trying to find the source once more, but I couldn't quite find it in time, but... I read one of the commentators of the liturgy regarding the, the commemoration of the saints, as this is your command, O Lord, uh, regarding remembering the saints. And some point to St. Paul in Hebrews, for there is a cloud of many witnesses. But another points to this story and says that this is the fulfillment of the command, that this that there is a memorial of not just this woman, but of all the saints. So then if you look at the commemoration, and of course we're in the Virgin Mary Fest, and we see this woman, she's not mentioned at all in the commemoration. Nowhere do we say, uh, remember, O oh Lord, this, the woman that has broken the, the flask of oil upon you. It doesn't occur at all. Actually, we don't find many women saints. Not at all, we just find one. I'm sure you could guess who that is. It is our mother, the Holy Saint, Virgin Mary. And so at first impression, that feels weird, because I think a lot of us have favorite female saints. A lot of us admire uh, many of them. For example, tonight is the commemoration of the martyr, uh, Julieta. But there are many other incredible women in the church. And yet many of them are not mentioned. And why is that? The church isn't belittling anyone, but rather the church is recognizing the honor of the women. It is enough for the church to recognize our Holy Mother, Virgin Mary, and to see that in Virgin Mary, all women have been elevated. And I think this, present, this presents to us a topic that we can meditate on tonight which is the image of women. And we can look at 
Eve as a mother and Virgin Mary as a mother and compare these two and see there are many similarities and yet there are many differences. And after that, we can just quickly look at, I suppose, two characters from the Bible and compare them and see one who is essentially a daughter of the world who used her power for evil versus another who used her situation and the power that was given to her as an opportunity for salvation. So looking at Eve and our mother, Virgin Mary, we see with Eve, she is our foremother. And at the same time, according to the fathers, she was a virgin. She was a virgin, according to the fathers. And we see that they are both wives. And of course, when I'm speaking about the virginity of Eve, I'm speaking about prior to the fall before Adam knew his wife, Eve. And Virgin Mary, in the same way, is a mother. She is, some of the fathers consider her a bride because she was betrothed to Joseph and she is the bride of Christ. And we find that she is well, virgin, wife, and mother. But we see, although Eve is a virgin, she strayed and she sinned. Why is that? Wasn't virginity enough? In tomorrow's gospel, tomorrow morning, we're going to read the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And it's interesting that although we see that there's a group of ten virgins, our Lord Jesus Christ in this parable makes a distinction. There are five that are wise, and there are five that are foolish. And the way he characterizes the wise is that they were prepared with their lamps filled with oil. And the foolish he characterized as lacking preparation. They didn't have oil when the master came. They were asking, can we have some of your oil? And the wise virgins told them, go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Well, they didn't make it back in time and they were still in darkness and they weren't allowed into the wedding. Now, virginity is good, but our Lord Jesus Christ shows that, yes, you can have a good deed. Yes, you can have a sacrifice. But if the oil is missing, then that sacrifice was nothing. We, we see a perfect illustration of that. Although, virgin, uh, although Eve was a virgin, she still strayed. And why was that? Because she lacked discretion. You can imagine in Eve's life, there were only two people in reality. There was God, and there was her husband, Adam. And you can imagine in many ways, Eve was defined by her relationship with those two people. Regarding God, she was to love him and to obey him. And of course, the, the God's, God's way of, of testing that, um, that love, if you would, was through the fruit in the garden where Eve and Adam are given a choice. They can obey the Lord's command and not eat of the fruit, or they could disobey and they could choose the fruit over God. Adam was her husband, and Adam was to lead her, and they were to be partners 
in their work in the garden. And yet, we see within Eve a jealousy. Some of the fathers mention a jealousy in Eve. Eve was jealous of her husband Adam because, well, Adam was created first. Eve didn't like that. She considered, after the devil had tempted her, that if she could eat this fruit, and if it's like what the devil said, if she eats the fruit and she wouldn't die, she would become like God, then she would be the first to enter into immortality. So she used her opportunity, which should have been an opportunity to demonstrate her love to God. She used that instead as a way to try to supersede her husband. And we see ultimately that death resulted as a result of disobedience. And Adam, of course, failed in his own marriage because he did not lead his wife. Now, what distinguishes Virgin Mary from Eve, and in what way does Virgin Mary become an advocate, not only of Eve, but of all women, it is through her obedience. It's the fact that not only was she virgin, but she meditated on the commandments of the Lord, that she had a life of commitment, that she was waiting upon his words, that whereas Eve was tempted to fall into sin, the archangel comes and encourages Mary to take on this responsibility and this honor to be the mother or bearer of God. So a complete contrast between the two, Eve being a mother and her children falling into death, because now all of us, after the sin of Adam and Eve, have fallen into a condition of death because mankind has strayed. Through these actions, we have separated ourselves from God, who is the source of life. We now find ourselves in the condition of death. So as our Lord Jesus Christ takes a body from the virgin, and through our Lord Jesus Christ, the curse of sin is put to death upon the cross, we see that through our mother, the Virgin Theotokos, St. Mary, that women were restored and humanity altogether, and she has redeemed Eve. And now when we look in scripture, we see all these really strong and powerful women are blessed and redeemed and find a true purpose in our Holy Mother, Virgin Mary. Now, I know this talk could have gone in a very political direction with all the dialogues and conversation regarding the definition of a woman, whether it's a bundle of ideas and what defines a woman and can a man do the same functions as a woman. And we know a woman is very simply defined as an adult female. It's very simple. It would only take the distortion of the truth and the application of darkness to come to, I don't know, these really weird ideas that a man can become anything like a woman. A woman has her own dignity and her own honor. And it's, it's so interesting that even in the, uh, in the early 5th century, when Nestorius was preaching his heresy, 
that the Virgin Mary is neither anthropotokos, which means a bearer of man, and she is not theotokos, the bearer of God, but rather she is Christotokos, she is the bearer of a man who is chrismated and became God because he, he couldn't fathom that a, a woman could give birth to God and that a mere mortal can contain within her the uncontainable. So he came up with this really strange doctrine, a heresy that, as, as Abuna mentioned in yesterday's homily, Saint Cyril of Alexandria aggressively attacked and insisted on the title Theotokos because she is the mother of God. But one of the fathers, I believe, the patriarch of uh, one of the one of the patriarchs, uh, Proclus, he gave a homily, a very strong and powerful homily, essentially against Nestorius, and in it he magnified all women and said, yes, although, although all of mankind is elevated and finds a blessing in our mother Virgin Mary, there is a special blessing that is for women. And he points to two qualities that are, I suppose, callings in life. The calling of marriage and the calling of virginity. And Virgin Mary has, if you would, sanctified both callings, being a virgin, and yet she gives birth to our Lord Jesus Christ, and simultaneously she is married, and yet her virginity remains whole. So it is incredible now that no matter what calling a woman takes, whether it be in virginity, whether it be and being a wife and being a mother, that we can see that both ways are blessed, both ways are good, and both ways are honorable. And as his father mentioned, those within scripture, those women in the Bible have been blessed as a result of Virgin Mary. So now I wanna move on to two women, and I just wanna quickly compare them to see I suppose one we can say is an abuse of power and discretion, probably more similar to Eve, whereas the other we see is a type or image of our mother, Virgin Mary. So we may be familiar with a character in the scripture found in 1 Kings. Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel is a very wicked woman, and she married King Ahab, I believe the king of Israel. And she was a worshiper of Baal or Baal. So although this is a king of Israel who should fear and worship the Lord God, his wife, a prominent woman, insists on the worship of the Baal. Ahab is a very weak husband and is very pathetic in his marriage and allows his wife to walk all over him. And he goes and he builds shrines and temples for her. And Jezebel is very aggressively attacking the worshipers of God. So eventually, Elijah challenges the worshippers of Baal upon Mount Carmel, I believe it's about 50 priests of the Baal, and they each decide we're going to make our own tabernacle, and we're going to have an offering, and we're going to see whose God is going to burn the offering. And of course, the, the, the priests of Baal go first, and they're calling to their God, and of course he doesn't hear because he's not real, so... 
They're just wasting their time. And Elijah tells them, you guys are wasting your time. Maybe he's unavailable. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's using the restroom. He's not hearing you. And after shaming them, he then asks for water to be poured upon the offering, which you're thinking the thing is going to be burned by fire. Why are you putting water? But he's demonstrating the power of his God in the face of this idol. And the fire, of course, rains down. And he calls for the slaughter of the prophets of Baal, as the psalm says, I slew all the sinners in the land. So anyway, Jezebel hates Elijah. So she wants Elijah dead, and Elijah runs away. Now, meanwhile, and keep in mind how wicked Jezebel has been this entire time, uh, I guess next to Ahab's palace is a vineyard, and it had just been, uh, had just been inherited by one named Naboth. And Ahab wants it, so he asks Naboth for it, and Naboth says, no, I'm not giving you my, my vineyard. This is part of my ancestral inheritance. It's part of my family. I'm not doing it. So Ahab is very sad. And Jezebel's saying to her husband, why, why are you sad? Oh, I want the vineyards. Like, you're the king. You know what? Let me take care of it. So she goes and she writes an, an edict uh, claiming to be her husband. Essentially, they're going to create a plot to take this, uh, this vineyard by killing Naboth during a fast. So they call the fast, and they sit uh, Naboth between two men, and then eventually they drag him out of the city and stone him. And we see that image of uh, a righteous man between two thieves taken out of the city and killed to be an image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jezebel kills him, and now the vineyard is Ahab's. And eventually... Um, God does reveal her demise through Elijah, who goes to Ahab and calls him out on what had happened, and Ahab repents, and God allows the calamity not to fall upon Ahab during his lifetime, but upon his son's lifetime, and Jezebel eventually is pushed out a window, and she is utterly annihilated for, um, I guess, her blood to be eaten by dogs. We see... Jezebel was, quite frankly, a very awful person because she was given so much prominence, so much power, so much ability to do good for Israel and to serve God, and yet she did not. Rather, she pursued her own means. She tried to use force and violence to get her own way, and she became an enemy to God himself. Now, take that woman who lacks honor completely, and compare her to Esther. Esther, who is an orphan, who eventually forms a father-daughter relationship with one named Mordecai during the, uh, the, the captivity of the Persians. When the king of Persia's queen, Vashti, refuses to come and reveal herself to the king and his seven friends, he decides to cast her away, and he calls for a new queen. So eventually Esther is chosen, she is bathed in perfume, and she becomes essentially the queen of Persia. Now at this time, after a series of events, there is a plot against the Israelites that there will be a mass annihilation or extermination of them. Mordecai hears about this. <coughs> And he's quite worried 
for the sake of the people. So they gather with Esther. No one, the king didn't know that she was Jewish. But they gather together and they say, Esther, you need to go to the king and you need to convince him not to kill the Jews. And she says, I can't just go up to the king unless I'm summoned. If I go to the king without being summoned, he's going to kill me. So you go, okay, no problem. Let's fast and let's pray for three days. And they fast and they pray for three days. And the plan is Esther's going to meet the king and invite him to a banquet in which she'll make his, her request. And it's so funny because everyone's fasting and praying. But Esther's the one who needs to stick her neck out for everyone else. Esther's the one who's called to be strong. Esther's the one who needs to put herself into danger. So eventually she meets the king in the courtyard and invites him and the enemy Haman to come to a banquet. The king is the king consents to the banquet. Haman, the enemy, is excited. He asks his wife, what should I do? Build a big gallow and kill Mordecai because he refused to prostrate to you. And the next day, during the banquet, uh, Esther reveals the plan of Haman to annihilate the Jews. Now, the king the previous night had a dream remembering Mordecai's good work for him. And at this point becomes conflicted. What am I to do? My wife is a Jew and my plot was to kill the Jews. I, I don't know what to do. So he goes out in the courtyard and Haman goes and prostrates himself before Esther, begging her for mercy. The king walks in, gets the wrong idea, thinks Haman's trying to kill her and orders that he is hung on the gallow he built and asks Mordecai and Esther to draft a new decree to save the Jews. Now look at that woman compared to Jezebel, whereas Jezebel used her power for herself and in her cowardice killed her enemies and even killed those who would not worship her God. Esther was very meek. Esther was humble and she listened to her father figure, Mordecai. She was not jealous like Eve, who convinced her husband, let's eat the fruit, and wanted to be superior to him. But rather, in complete obedience, she risked her life. She accepted the proposal to save the Jews. And of course, that is an image of the blessed woman, who, like Virgin Mary, accepted the proposal of the angel to receive the Lord Jesus Christ so he may take flesh and save our race. So then we see, I think these are more powerful qualities of a woman, that the image of a woman is restored in Virgin Mary insofar that she sanctified two paths. She sanctified marriage, she sanctified virginity, but a strong woman isn't one that tries to push for her own ways or, or tries to dominate her husband or other, other people and doesn't try to use people as victims or means towards her own end. But rather, a strong woman is one who waits upon the Lord, is one who was mentioned, I believe Proverbs 31, who, who is strong in her household, one who is judicious, one who is wise, and yet as St. Peter describes in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6, through 6, one who is silent can even convince an unbelieving husband to believe through her meekness and good works. So may we learn from the example of Virgin Mary, who has given us a beautiful image of the powerful and the strong woman, one who has taught all of us, both men and women, 
the blessing and the reward for those who are obedient to our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is due all, good, who is due all glory and honor with his good Father and the Holy Spirit, and glory be to God forever. Amen.